The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Jesus, thank you so much for the privilege of meeting together tonight. And thank you for the joy, Lord Jesus, of being able to come together. We thank you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've, and I want to see, let's see. Um, we've had quite an adventure filled night. So we're going to see what only Jesus can do because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by his Holy Spirit. So that's a happy way to live, isn't it? So I'd like to start tonight and I'd like to start reading in Isaiah 2, a one, a two before we get into our Zechariah study. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the Torah, the word of God, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and he will rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. No more war. <laughs> No more war. Not nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Tonight, we want to talk about when the war is over. And we'd like to look at Zechariah. This is Isaiah, the prophet of the Lord, 750 years before Jesus came. Zechariah is in the 300s before Jesus comes. And we look at Zechariah 13 and 14. It is the culmination of this book full of the presence of God. And I'm so grateful for the pictures that we just saw that put, us in, put it in our minds once again. Return to me is the theme of the book, and I will return to you. God waits for us with open arms. The decision is whether you and I will return or will we say, I don't think so, not quite yet. And then he says, I'm pro nobis, the one where God, where Jesus is there on that horse. He said, I am for you. And he said, I have power to restore what the enemy has eaten, the second vision where he's able to get rid of the horns and cut him off because the carpenter has come. The carpenter, Jesus, the carpenter who can rebuild and restore. Then he is able to put a wall of fire around us. And he says, Jerusalem will be without boundaries because I have come. And he said, there, and I, and I will put a wall of fire and my glory will be the presence within. And remember, and I'm wearing my apple sweater again. Don't you just love it? I'm just going to stand up. We're the apple of his eye. He who touches you, us touches the apple of his eye. 
Some of you have taken that beautiful picture and you put it the names of all your kids, your grandkids, those born and yet unborn and those apples to say, God, we're taking your word seriously. And then the theme song. I love it when a book has this theme song. Sing, O daughters of Zion and rejoice for I am coming. I am coming. I don't know where you are tonight in your walk with Jesus. I don't know where you are in your life right now. But if you will let him, he will come and he will come even tonight. That is the beauty of Jesus. He comes to you and me in our deepest need. So he said, I will come. And then he said, and I want to come and I want to fill you with my, cleanse you and purify you and give you the mind of Christ. That's the turban. It's so cute. Even this week, as I woke up one morning, I had somebody on my heart very deeply. And I said, oh, Jesus, would you take that turban and just wrap it around their mind so that all they can think about today is Jesus. And all they can think about is biblical worldview. And let it be the beginning of a new beginning for the salvation of this person to go forward into newness of life with Jesus. And if I were smarter, I could make you a turban, but I'm not quite, can't do it, which is the turban of God to transform our thinking so we can get to our hearts and transform our hearts, mind, heart, soul, body, and spirit. Then that beautiful candelabra. So he wants to come in and fill us with himself. And so that we can go out living as sparkling in the radiance of God, the light of the glory of God. But then he gives, remember, in the, the, uh, the sixth vision where he talks about, he comes and he has the scroll, 30 feet by 15 feet. And it says, a, a cursing will come on all that steal and all that lie. Because many times you and I can have a form of godliness and denying the power. And he said, all of the basis of human life needs to be built on integrity, on truth, and on righteousness. That is who God is. And we need to ask God to go to the inner places of our soul and cleanse and purify and set free. So we are people after God's own heart, people of the truth, people who will not lie. That was the description in scripture. And I say it, people who do not lie are the ones that follow God. God is, isn't that a marvelous thing? And that is what the power of the spirit can do. And then we have the seduction of the, the, the prostitute in the basket, remember? And she is the one that tries to seduce us and seduce our next generation and seduce our marriages. So we believe the lives of the devil and we do not believe Jesus. And she comes to take away and to kill, damn, and destroy. But there's power in the blood of Jesus to set free and to heal, if we will let it. So then the last one is when Jesus comes again. And this is what we're going to talk about today. And we start out, last week we talked about in chapter 12, we talked about true repentance. And true repentance, it starts in verse 10, is when we, we look on him whom we have pierced. And he uses a personal pronoun, me here, Jesus does. That godly sorrow that leads to repentance when we see Jesus and see what Jesus has done 
not just for the folks across the street or down the road or our husbands or our kids, but for me. There's a personalization of the message of the gospel to me, to me, to my heart. And we look on him whom we have pierced and there's a weeping and a mourning and a sorrow for our sins. And it happens in each one of our lives personally. And then it can happen corporately in the body of Jesus, in families, because in the end of the chapter was the family, the house of David and their spouses, their husbands and the wives wept and saw Jesus in new ways. It happened in the family of Levi the same way. There was a personalization of the gospel that came to one, that came to a family, they then came to a nation. God, that is how revival begins when we begin to see a vision and of the person of Jesus, high and lifted up. And our hearts are drawn to the one who bears in his body, even to this day, his resurrected body, the hands that were pierced for you and me. And then we start with 13. And it's the beautiful fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. There is in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the house family of Jerusalem for sin and all uncleanness. Do you know what happens? Jesus' blood can come and cleanse you and I from all sin. As Corey Ten Boom said, there is no sin so deep that Jesus' blood isn't deeper still. He can cleanse and purify our hearts and he can set us free. And then it explains this in chapter N13. He said, what does he start with? He starts with the idols in our life. Have you got any idols in your life? Is there any place you're looking for security first before Jesus? Are you longing for more money, more power, more control? Are you a manipulator to get what you want? God says, are there any places that sex is your sexuality, you're defrauding and taking from another what is not yours rightfully? God says, is there any place in your life there are any idols? I have good news for you tonight. You don't have to live there any longer. The fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. The sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Ladies, how many? Some? 25%? 50%? No. It is possible for Jesus to come and cleanse and purify you and me. So we do not have to sin every day in thought, word, and deed. The blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can cleanse and set us free. Not at the end of time, not when we pass on into heaven, but today, oidea, right now, God can come. Then he says, I can so transform you and I can so transform the society in which you live and work so that you no longer look to false prophets. You no longer look to other places other than to myself. You look to me and you don't take your marching orders or from other people or from a woke agenda 
or the culture around me. You begin to be women and men of the word of God so that you take your marching orders from me and you hear from me and you understand me. And there will be a purification of the faith of the people of God. So there are no more idols when Jesus comes into our lives. And we no longer look around to other places to get our needs met, or we no longer listen to other people. But our ears are attuned to our good shepherd, as we've talked about before. So we hear his voice and we follow him. It's a marvelous place to be. In fact, it will become in the days ahead when Jesus comes back and can be right now for those of us who know it. But when Jesus comes back, it will no longer be politically correct to speak against Jesus. It will no longer be politically correct to be a false prophet because culture itself will say that is not the way to be. That seems like a miracle, but Zechariah is saying that day is coming and it's coming when Jesus comes again. <laughs> He's coming. And the false prophets actually in verse four, every pro the families of the false prophets will say, that is not how you're supposed to be. And they will, they will ostracize them. Even they will choose Jesus and over, over their lives. And then the false prophets themselves will be ashamed of what they're saying and ashamed of the visions they're prophesying. And they will, they have been wearing false, they've been wearing the garments of the prophets and then deceiving the people and no longer will they do it. They won't put on the those garments. Do you know what they'll do? They'll begin to say, oh no, I'm not a false prophet anymore. I'm a farmer. I'm a herdsman. I've been a herdsman since I was a youth. And then the people around them will say, how come you have all those scars all over your body? And they'll say, well, those scars were given to me by in the house of a friend because the false prophets were characterized by the lacerations that they gave themselves in the orgies that they have for when they worship the Baals and the Molochs and the other gods of the world around them. And God and the people of God will say, what are those scars? And they will deny them. They will not want to be associated anymore with the culture around them and the and the, the religious culture around them that was demonic. Because one more thing it says here, I will remove the unclean spirit from you. And when wherever we have idols. And wherever we have false prophets or people saying, thus says the Lord, or this is the way to go, or this is the moral thing to do. And if it's not based fully on the word of God, there is always uncleanness. There's lies, there's deception, there's sexual perversion, there's abuse, there's sin, there's drugs, there's addictions. They go hand in hand. And Jesus said, that is why I came and died. And then he explains it a little more. These were wounded, the false prophets, from, their, from the lacerations they gave themselves. But Jesus, our Savior, in verse 7, 
it says, wake, O sword, against the shepherd, my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. What does this mean? It says that God himself allowed Jesus to be our salvation and to be a lamb slain before the foundation of the world because God loved us so much. But it caused the death of the perfect lamb of God and his blood shed once for you and once for me for all time. It is the sacrifice of eternal salvation offered for us. And he said, when it happened, and when they took Jesus, and when his blood was shed, the sheep were scattered. There were four women at the cross and John. Four women and John. They were scattered because there was no comprehension in the minds of the disciples when Jesus came that to redeem us. There was no comprehension that he would literally lay down his life for you and me. They couldn't believe it. He was to be a God of power, not a suffering savior. And if you and I aren't careful today, that is still what we have, our vision of God, not the God who comes. He will come in power. That's our next one. But when he came the first time, Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. And he laid it down once again. I say it again for the whole world. Just like Grace Senses told us about for the whole world, for the whole world, for the whole world. And the good news is you and I can be carriers of his presence. So he can purify us from idols. He can purify us from looking to false prophets and looking to Jesus, the good shepherd. He has come and laid down his life for us, the sheep, that we might know true salvation. And then it says there will be suffering that will come, not only to Jesus, but to the people of God. Because he said, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. What does that mean? That our sufferings become an opportunity for Jesus to come and reveal himself to us, to me, reveal our hearts to him, and to reveal his glory to a lost world around us. Because the world doesn't work right now because it has the wrong master. And it's not until he comes again in all his glory. But even the suffering that you and I go through, every single one of us on this call, and that God has called us to, God says it is an opportunity for us to once again they give him that alabaster box of love. To say like Job, though you slay me, yet Jesus, I will trust you. And that Lord, that Jesus can use the sufferings to reveal who I actually am in him. And whether I will turn away or I will run to and run into Jesus. Oh, I have a good testimony for you. 
I can remember when I was going through radiation and it seemed to be harder even than chemo because family could be with me in chemo. And do I understand why any of us must go through those things? No, except we live in a broken world. But do you know who went down with me and you lay half naked on a slab every single day for weeks? Jesus, Jesus, the doors close. It's always down in the basement. It's always past the nuclear medicine. But you go into the room and no one else can go with you but God. And day after day after day, hours in the waiting room, Jesus went on the outfit down in the basement and he went through that whole ordeal with me. And you know, there was a sweetness about the presence of Jesus that I wouldn't want to go through any of that again. But there's a sweetness that comes when you and I get to participate in the fellowship of his sufferings and he can go the long way with you even through death until we get to the other side. He is a good God. He is pro-nobis. We are in his hands and they are good hands. God is saying tonight. And so suffering is a part of his equation because we are following a crucified savior and it will be part of our equation as well, just as it is the equation of every single human being on the planet, ever born and ever yet to be born. But it is what we do with suffering. Is it a gift we give back to God and we run to him or do we run away? And during these intense days of COVID and the intense political climate around the globe and the ones that we know and love and our hearts are grieving over, this is an opportunity to, uh, for us to say, Jesus, we choose you and we go forward on our knees and we go forward into you. We just go forward into God. And every bit of suffering that we give back to Jesus Christ, do you know what? He makes it redemptive for our good, our family's good, our children's good, the generation yet to come's good, because they have a memory in their minds of what God did and how he met you and me. And then in their dark days, they said, if God can do it for her or him, he can do it in my life today. For our good, his glory, and it is always redemptive. It is never in vain, just like the cross of Jesus was never in vain. He said, you may go through suffering. Some even may die. And their loved ones on this call, who have had loved ones go to Jesus. Some may be left, which is its own suffering. And then some will be refined as silver and gold because that is the opportunity we have as we go through dark times in our lives and in our souls and in our families for Jesus to make us into his precious treasure, his segula, the 
jewels on his crown. He can make us and refine us like silver and gold. Remember Amy Carmichael's story when she went to through the market and there was the silversmith and he was, he was, had the silver and it was in a pot and the fire was just boiling. And she said, when do you know that the silver is pure? And he said, when I can see a reflection of my face in the silver. I want to know, is Jesus transforming your dark days and dark times into an opportunity for not only Jesus to see a reflection of his face and even the likes of you and me, but the people with whom we live to see a reflection of his beauty and his holiness and the holiness he offers. Then verse nine, I will bring one third through the fire, will refine them as silver and I will test them as gold. And I will call, they will call on my name and I will answer them. He answers prayer. He's a promise keeping God. And then I will say, these are my people. Father, they belong to us. <laughs> and then we will say, we're your people. We belong to you. And there's an identification and a coherence in your life and mine to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the very purpose for which God made every single one of us will be fulfilled in your heart and life and in mine. I remember one time we had gotten back from overseas and I was doing postdoctoral research in Massachusetts. And on the 18th century, American side of the 18th century revival. And I was attending a women's Bible study in Quincy, Massachusetts. And what, on the day of the Bible study, I woke up and I had Katie Beth and Cricket then. I didn't have the other two. And I just thought, oh, it's cold, it's snowy. I don't think I'm going to try to go to Bible study today. Have you had those days? <laughs> I think I'll stay home. Well, Al heard me kind of saying that. And he said, he said, oh, I think you will go to Bible study today. Oh, blessed Al. He said, I will take you on this cold, snowy day. I will drive you there. I will do research till it's over and I will bring you home. Well, I had no excuse and I am forever grateful. That day, they didn't have the regular Bible study. They had a testimony, a little bit like the testimonies we've heard, like from Grace today and from the others that we've heard, Janice and the, uh, uh, no, and Angie last week, the testimonies. And it was a testimony of a woman named Olga. And she was from Vienna. And um, she, she, her little mother, had been they were they were Catholics, but they had a form of religion, but they'd never known the heart reality of Jesus in their lives. So one day, her mother was was as they lived in a village in, in Austria, and um, 
And so she said that she was walking by the side of the road and it was, the harvest was coming in. And she noticed that as they would harvest a field, they would stop and the farmer and all his family and everyone would stop and get and form a circle. And it looked like they were praying together. Well, Olga's mother was stunned. And so she watched and then they harvest another one and they did the same thing. So after she watched, she, she went and she interrupted them. She said, what are you doing? And they said, we're so grateful for the harvest. We have to thank Jesus for the harvest. And we're praying it'll be enough to we can stay warm and pay our bills this fall, this winter. And we're just thankful for the harvest. And she said, God doesn't care about things like that. Oh, they said, on the contrary, he loves the nitty gritty of life. And he cares very much, not only that we know him personally, but also he cares about every part of our life even our harvest and our crops. Well, she said, and the long and short, they invited her to church and Olga's mother found Jesus. She was gloriously converted. Well, Olga began to go to church with her mama and Olga became gloriously converted as well. Took the rest of the family a little longer. Olga grew up. She married a Romanian. She loved him very much. They went back to a Romanian village. And then World War II broke out. And she found herself in Romania when the Nazis moved in and her husband was taken to the front line in France with Hitler. And she was an outcast with five children and no husband and no way to support herself. And then she remembered how God cared for the farmers in her home country and that God kept his promises. Then she lifted up her Bible and lady, every page was wrinkled and tear stained. And she said, I got to know She said, God, I began to make hats. My son got a job. God began to feed us like he did the ravens of the field. Every night I'd weep and give the next day to him. Finally, the war was over. The Red Cross came through. We were taken to Massachusetts. My husband had come back. He was mentally ill from all that had happened. She said, we were expatriated first to Canada and then to the US. And she said, the minute he got on Canadian soil, God began to return his mind. Then we got in a house that the Red Cross provided in Quincy, Mass. And there was a, a garden. And as he worked the garden, God restored his mind. But she said, my children began to be able to go to school and get jobs. And we all got work. 
and God began to meet us. And then she said, I began to notice that the God that I, we had known and had taken us through the Second World War in such a marvelous way had been real to my mother, real to me, but was not real to my children. And she said, one day the burden for my children's souls got so great. I stretched myself out on their beds after they went to school and work. And I said, Jesus, I am holding on the same God that met me during the war. I am claiming that God who keeps his promises that I will contend with those who contend with you and my, your children, I will save Isaiah 65. And she said, they go to work and I'd spread out on the bed of all five of them going bed to bed, to bed, to bed, to bed. And then she said, and she looked at me, she said, you know what began to happen? said it wasn't too long after that my oldest son was watching a, game, a football game on television and all of a sudden the spirit of Jesus came and conviction of sin came upon his life and he could not watch another minute. He began to weep and wail and mourn just like Zechariah 12 10. Weep and wail and mourn because he saw Jesus, the one whom he had pierced with his sins. And that day he called me and said, God's coming. And he was a new man. She said, and I kept praying. And it wasn't too much longer than my, my second son was driving on the interstate, six to eight things. And all of a sudden such conviction came upon him. He had to get off on the side of the road and he met God and he hasn't been the same since. She said, ladies, I have two down and I have three more to go. God can take the disappointments in our life. He can take the hurt places in our life. He can turn all of it for our good, his glory and redemptive purposes. And the chief thing is we don't know about God if we will run and walk into him. We literally know the face of God. Do you know him like that tonight? Do you know him? Do you know him like that? In that sweet intimacy? To just hold on and say, God, you are the God who promises I will contend with those who contend with you and your children, I will say. Then he says in 14, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And ladies, it is coming. And the day of the Lord is coming when the, the, your spoil will be divided. I will gather all the nations of Israel and they will come and fight against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished and half the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant, once again, that beloved remnant will not be cut off. When before Jesus comes back again, Zechariah is saying that the nations of the world will gather against Jerusalem and there will be warfare to destroy Jerusalem and to destroy the people of God. It will be an all out battle Revelation 16, 16 calls it Armageddon. 
but God, it will not be the end of the story, nor will it be the end of the people of, of, of God, whether they are the Jewish nation and the Jews themselves or those of us who are grafted in, the Gentiles who have chosen to follow Jesus. But the Lord will come forth and he will come forth and he will fight against those nations. The Lord himself will fight in that day in the battle and his feet will stand right on the Mount of Olives and he will, and as he faces Jerusalem on in the east and he will split the Mount of Olives in two so that the, it, there will be a valley between the east and the west and it'll be so cataclysmic that Zechariah talks about this will be as cataclysmic, it will be more cataclysmic, but the only thing they had in their day and time to compare it to was the earthquake that occurred during the time of Uzziah, which is actually how Amos starts and dates his book in the prophecy of Amos, according to this catastrophic earthquake. When Jesus comes, he will stand on the Mount of Olives where he would take his disciples. Jesus comes where he was betrayed, Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and the ascension was on the Mount of Olives. When he left before, he went up from the Mount of Olives. When he comes again, he will descend on the Mount of Olives and it will be split in two. And why? So that the people of God can go through and there will be a way through to the other side and there will be an escape from the enemy. Does it not it remind you like the Exodus, there's a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And Moses stretches out his hands and I'm singing unto the Lord for he is triumph gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Uh, oh, he said, I will come and I will make a way of escape for the people of God to go through to the other side and they will flee and, and the Lord will come and all the saints with him. And it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening, it will happen. There will be light. Do you know what? This afternoon, this is just like John 18, 8, 17. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And he says to his disciples, behold, I am the light of the world. <laughs> when I come back again, we won't need our flashlights. We won't even need any lights because the light of the world will come. And then he says, and he, the lights will diminish. It will be at day and night that I, it will be light. And then eight, in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them go to the Eastern Sea and half of them to the Western Sea. In both southern, summer and winter, it shall occur. And when Jesus says this in John 7.37, listen to this. Oh, wait if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. He who believes in, to drink 
He who believes in me, as scripture says, out of his fart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus comes, he is the light of the world. And when Jesus comes, he fills us with his Holy Spirit and rivers of living water flowed out, flew, came out of the presence of Jesus, just like Ezekiel 47. But it is also a symbol, not only of the candelabra, but it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit filling you and me. And as we drink of the person of Jesus and enter into the presence of God with a cleansed and purified heart, rivers of living water flow out of your life and my life that begin to touch a globe for God by the power of his precious, precious Holy Spirit. So he can take the loaves and fishes in your hand and my hand. He can transform them. And generations from now, there can be a difference because you have lived and I have lived and we have been faithful through the power of the precious Holy Spirit. I love the story in Silas Marner. Remember, remember um, Dolly? She took to the old miser Silas, she took lard cakes that she had made. Now, of course, that wouldn't be exactly on most of our diets today, but she took lard cakes because she was so burdened for the lost grumpy miser in town named Silas Marner. But before she gave them, guess what she did? All she had was lard cakes. But she had a stamp that she had gotten from church that had IHS standing for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And she stamped every one of her lard cakes that she gave to Silas Marner with that stamp. And then she took them to the old miser. And those lard cakes, a gift given by, by little nondescript farmer's wife, were the beginning of the transformation of a miser to begin to know and walk with God. Oh, how many times have I remembered that story? Jesus, all I have is lard cakes to give you. I don't even have loaves and fishes is the reality, just lard cakes. He goes, oh, no problem. Just stamp them with my name, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all I need is your clean hands, your pure heart. And it doesn't have to be perfect performance, Beth. In fact, it never will be. You can never get it all right. He said, that's part of the beauty because there's a brokenness that I can use, like our beginning pot, pots that Laura showed us with put together with gold refined in the fire. So they hold the person of Jesus and the glory can be reflected. Don't worry if all you've got to give him is lard cakes, just give him in the name of Jesus, do the best that you, you can but it's not up to perfect performance. He said, then he says, and the king 
will come in that day. Rivers of living water. That is the Holy Spirit. This is a book written 300 years before Jesus came. And he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about it in the, in the, in the candelabra. And now he's talking about it in rivers of living water. And then he said, and the land shall be turned into a plain. It shall be raised up and inhabited in her place. There, and the people shall dwell in it. And there will no longer be any destruction. But in Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all people that fight against Jerusalem. Their flesh will dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues will dissolve in their mouths. Some scholars believe that's a nuclear bomb right there. It's not a pretty picture. But there will be a conflagration at the end of human history. He began it. He will end it. But there is a way through the mountain. And, it, and he said it will come to pass that there will be a great panic among the people. They will seize the hand of their neighbors and raise his hand against his neighbors. And Judah will fight and the wealth of the nations will come. But Jerusalem, Judah will win. And that there shall, there shall be a plague on the horse and the mule and the camel and the donkey. All the means of war and all the men of war. The power of darkness and hell and evil will be brought to an end. And it shall come to pass that everyone is left of all the nations what could come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and they will flow to Jerusalem from all the nations of the world. Didn't we just read that in Isaiah 2? <laughs> and anyone who doesn't take part in that there will be no rain and the plague will come upon them. Even as Egypt, if it trusts in the Nile, it will not be exempt from. It will be all people because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I'd like to read you that part. A little bit from Revelation. Revelation 21, 22. But I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. Oh, John must have read Zechariah, don't you think? <laughs> he illuminated it. The lamb is its light. Jesus, the lamb. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And there shall be no night there. Doesn't that sound like Zechariah 2? There won't be any need for gates because there'll be no need for walls around the new Jerusalem. The king is coming. He will be the walls and he will be the protection. 
and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations. There shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written there tonight? And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. Just like those rivers of living water in Zechariah, Jesus standing on the Temple Mount. Just like Ezekiel 47. And the middle of it, and the, and the pure river of water, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the street on either side of the river is the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And, and there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb and his servants shall serve him. And we will see his face and his name will be written on our foreheads. Jesus. Right there, Jesus. There name no lamp nor light. For the Lord God gives the light and they shall reign forever and ever. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the words of my book. Behold, I am coming quickly, verse 12. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. Blessed are those who keep my commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and anyone who loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him drink of the waters of life freely. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Sing, O daughters of Zion, and rejoice. Behold, the king is coming, just and lowly. One time riding upon a donkey, the foal of a donkey. But when he comes, he will come in all his glory and splendor for you and for me. How does Zechariah end up this glorious book? Oh, I just love it. <laughs> In that day, when Jesus comes, holiness to the Lord will be engraved 
And you'd think it'd be engraved on us, wouldn't you? But it's on the bells of the horses. So I said, Jesus, why? He said, the horses were the instruments for war. When Jesus comes, the war's over. And the whole essence of Zechariah is that the war can be over in your life and my life, even tonight. The war is over so that all the things that we hold on to, the idols and all the things we listen to and all the voices can be purified, cleansed, and we can be set free. And the unclean spirits can be put destroyed from our lives by the blood of Jesus and even the and the war in your life and my life is over just like it will end in the end of times so that even the instruments of war will have holiness unto the Lord upon them and just like Isaiah said they will take all those swords and all those cherry and they will break them and they will make them into plows and they will use them for eternal purposes that benefit the people of God. God can make the nitty gritty in your life holy unto him if we will let him even tonight. Then the next part I love, I don't have a horse. I can say the battle's over and that Jesus, I'd like your name to be put right here. J-E-S-U-S. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to each other. That precious co-inherence and identification of God. But I can identify with pots and pans. <laughs> How many meals have we cooked? How many suppers have we served? How many glasses of iced tea have I made or served? Oh, my goodness. We, there's no, no. He said, even in that day, the pots and pans that are in the temple of God, I will so transform the pots and pans in your art and in your life and in your family's life so that every time you meet and you cook a meal or in the nitty gritty of every day, I want to come and I want to sanctify every part of your life with the glory and sweetness and beauty and unity and fragrance of my personal resurrected presence. The king is coming. The king is coming. Now, one more thing before we have our precious ending. Remember our transformation. This is, this is a poor symbol, but a symbol of me with all my yuck. Yeah, and I said, God, I give you this, the glorious exchange. But then I looked in the box and Jesus reminded me, he has all the fruits of the spirit that he wants to give me, love, joy, peace, all the characteristics of Jesus. But I found something else in the glorious exchange that I think will you will like. This is a little tiny basket. And I'm grateful it's little because that just is a symbol of who each one of us is, but we're all together in the glorious exchange. Oh, I wonder what could be in this glorious exchange. Oh, let me see. Oh, I'm gonna put this right here. Can you see that? No. Just one second. The first thing, is Jesus and so transform your life and my life that I believe he's good. And this says, for assuredly, I say to you, Beth, 
If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for God. God can so transform you and me in this glorious exchange that even though our faith is no bigger than a tiny little mustard seed, it can be enough to move mountains in your life and in the lives of other people as we intercede. Oh, what else is in here? Oh, fragrant perfume. Jesus can come so that every place you and I go, he can touch us so that Psalm 45 says that even our garments, our, the clothes we wear, are scented with myrrh, what we've suffered, aloes, what, how he's healed us, and, and cassia, beauty and fragrance. So every place we go, just like 2 Corinthians talks about, fragrance and beauty goes because of the glorious exchange. The king has come into your life and my life and transformed us. Then what is this? This is the anointing oil. This is the symbol of the presence of God and the rivers of living water that can flow out from your life to my life. And ladies, we can just take this and apply it to the hearts of all those that we are carrying and their pictures and just anoint them and say, Jesus, I am carrying them to you. And then what else is in here? Oh, the scarlet cord, the precious blood of Jesus, that fountain filled with God, blood that cleanses and purifies and set free. And it was no accident in, um, in Rahab's story in the promised land. She put out the scarlet cord and she and all her family were saved. I want to know, are you enjoying the fruits in your life of the glorious exchange of Jesus himself? The fragrance, the beauty, the faith to believe for impossible things, the anointing of God, and then to hold on for a lost, broken world and put out your scarlet cord that your family and your loved ones and your church are covered by the blood of Jesus. I have good news for us tonight. The king is coming again, but the king has come and can come tonight in your life and my life. And eternity can be forever different because we sang like the, the women in Jerusalem, sing, O daughters of Zion, the king is coming and he will dwell in your midst. He will be your God and you will be his people. He will be my God and I will be his people. Oh, holy Jesus. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you we don't have to wait till you come again. Thank you for coming the first time. Thank you for the war is over and it can be over in my life and in our lives, just like it was in Zechariah's life and ultimately will be over in all of human history. The war will be over. We won't need any more tanks or artillery. 
the battle is over. Tonight, would you let someone let it be? The war is over and I wanna know Jesus. So the fragrance and beauty and even grace poured out upon our lips so that what comes out of our hearts is grace filled and is healing to everyone in the world in which we live. Would you do a new thing? Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? The king is coming. I have heard the trumpet sound. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' holy name.